0: This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. Most American sports fans know that in 1947, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Far fewer know Willie O'Ree, a man often called the Jackie Robinson of hockey. Fifty years ago, O'Ree took the ice in Boston Garden as a member of the hometown Bruins and became the first black player in the National Hockey League. O'Ree's appearance was scarcely noticed at first, but as he toured other NHL cities, he endured taunts and injuries from other players and racial insults from fans. The Canadian-born O'Ree was lightning fast on his skates. His career is even more remarkable, considering the fact that he played most of it practically blind in one eye, something most of his coaches and teammates never knew. O'Ree is now Director of Youth Development for the NHL's diversity program. He was honored earlier this year in a ceremony at Boston Garden. He spoke with Fresh Air contributor Dave Davies. Well, Willie
1: O'Ree, welcome to Fresh Air. You grew up as, if, if I've read the stories accurately, one of two black families in Fredericton, New Brunswick in Canada, right? That's correct, sir. town of 10,000 people. And you started skating when?
2: I started uh, skating at the age of two, and I started playing organized hockey at the age of five, and uh, kind of just played up through the ranks. I had a rink in my backyard, which my uh, dad uh, prepared for me. Um, I used to skate to school, and uh, so basically, um, I was on the ice every day, and uh, there was obviously the availability
1: of, of ice. I picture you eating your cornflakes with uh, your skates on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I used to do a lot of things with my skates on. Uh you were fast, right? Is that what made you special?
2: Yes, uh, I was. Uh, I was considered a very fast skater, and um, I had. I got a lot of breakaways due to the fact that uh, from a from a dead stop, I could uh, take about four four or five strides, and I'd be at top speed, where other players may take seven or eight. The advantage I had was I could I could break away from my check and uh, position myself to you know to get into position to receive the puck and constantly and go in and, you know and have an opportunity to score goals.
1: So in in your teens, uh, you you play junior hockey. You do very well, and then I guess you went pro with the Quebec Aces in the Quebec Hockey League, right?
2: Right, fifty uh, seven, But now,
1: um, right now, that was pro. That wasn't the National Hockey League. But it, no, but, um, it was professional league. But, but it was one prof- step below the National League. Was it unusual to to be a black man in that league?
2: Uh yes. There were only uh, there were only two black uh, players playing at that time. Um, th- there was times when I was the only black player uh, playing in a league. And, uh, you know, I just I just wanted to be accepted as just another player because at that time I had the skills and the ability to play in the league.
1: And were you accepted like anybody else?
2: Well, no, not not really. I mean, uh, I fought a lot, uh, racial remarks from fans, uh, players on the opposition, you know. And, uh, again, they just tried to, to kind of goat me and tried to get me off my game. But, uh, you know, I, I tried to uh, stay true and just, and just go out and play.
1: Now it was I guess in, during this period of your career before you made it to the NHL that you had the injury which would really affect your career right tell tell us yes. about tell us about yes, that Yes
2: it did Uh it happened my uh, my last year junior I was playing in uh, Kitchener Ontario Canada uh for a farm team of the uh, Montreal Canadiens we're playing in Guelph uh in the junior league and um, uh, we uh, we didn't wear any helmets uh, no face shields no mask Um I I get the puck and um I'm beside the net, and I see uh, I see one of my defensemen out in the slot area. So I make a fake pass, and I go around, and I pass the puck uh, out to Kent Douglas. Uh, he later on played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Put a perfect pass on Kent, and he winds up and blasts the puck. And so I go in front of the net for a deflection, and then I went to turn my head around to see where the puck was. And when the shot uh, left uh, the player's stick, it... it, it uh, it was diverted uh, off a stick and come up and, and hit me flat over the right eye. It broke my nose, broke part of my jaw, and, and um, you know, I, I dropped down on my knees. I was still conscious, but I could, I could feel the blood running down my face, and the next thing I knew, I'm, I'm placed in an ambulance, taken to the hospital, and uh, I was in the, um, the hospital for about, uh, about four or five days. Um, it was what this doctor told me that actually changed my life. His name was Dr. Henderson. And I'm laying in my hospital bed in the recovery room and he comes in and uh, he says, Mr. O'Ree, he says, I'm sorry to inform you that um, you're going to be blind in your right eye and uh, you'll never play hockey again. The impact of the puck completely shattered the retina and uh, there was nothing we could do. Well, I kind of sunk back in my bed and uh, the, the, the dreams and goals that I had set for myself of one day uh, playing professional and hopefully getting into the National Hockey League seemingly were gone.
1: But it wasn't the end. You, you, you simply refused to accept that, right?
2: I did. I, uh, I accepted the fact that I was blind, but I didn't accept the fact that I'd never play hockey again because, the uh, first of all, the doctor, uh, he was a fine um, surgeon and did everything humanly possible you know, to save the sight in my eye, but there was too much damage. But he was wrong about the second thing about not playing hockey again because he didn't know the dream and the goal that I had set for myself. So I got out of the hospital, and I started back skating again, and the only difference I, I could notice about myself is I, would, I had this blind spot in my in my right eye. I could skate as fast as ever, I could shoot the puck, do everything I did before.
1: That's a pretty big difference, isn't it, Willie? <laughs> oh yeah,
2: yeah it, uh, there was uh, you know I had to uh, there was a big adjustment. Uh, I'm a left hand shot and I'm playing left wing, so to compensate I, I had to turn my head all the way around to the right to pick the puck up with my left eye because I couldn't see it on my right eye. And consequently, I'd overskate the puck. Going in on the net, you know, I'd miss the net, hit the goalpost, post. And, you know, I'm saying, what is wrong? What is wrong? And um, I just told myself, I said, Willie, don't worry about what you can't see. Just concentrate on what you can see. So it's in
1: 1958 that you have, you know, what's called your Jackie Robinson moment, right? The, uh, you get a call from a National Hockey League team, the Boston Bruins. Tell us about that.
2: That's, that's correct. Um, I got the... Uh, I got the notice to meet the Bruins in Montreal to play uh, two games against the Montreal Canadiens uh, on January the 18th, 1958. Uh, I stepped on the ice at the Montreal Forum and became the uh, first black player to play in the National Hockey League.
1: Well, let me let um, me let me ask you about this a moment, because you know when when. And, you know, everybody's story is different. You know, your story is different from Jackie Robinson's. But but there's a point of comparison that interests me here. Before he broke into baseball, uh, the, the president of the Brooklyn Dodgers, Branch Ricky, spent a lot of time talking to him about what he might expect uh, breaking that color barrier. Was there any kind of discussion like that about yes. you being the... Yeah, tell us about that.
2: Yes. Uh, before I stepped on the ice, we were in the dressing room. Um, the coach, uh, Milt Schmidt... The general manager at that time, Lynn Patrick, uh, sat me down, and uh, they said, "Willie, you know this is um, this is the first game that uh, you're going to be playing. You're, you know, you're going to be the first black player to play in the National Hockey League. Uh, you may uh, get exposed to uh, racial remarks on the ice uh, from fans, uh, the uh, you know, the opposing team. But don't let it worry you. Go out and play hockey. And uh, the Bruin organization is behind you 100. percent. We'll take care of everything else." and See, I was no stranger to the Montreal fans because just a week prior to that, I was Willie O'Ree with a Quebec Aces jersey on. Right. You know, and so, and when I'm skating around on January the 18th, Saturday night, with the Bruins, I could see several fans pointing in my direction, and then they're saying, "Oh, there's, there's that black kid. He's up with the Bruins now." Uh, there was no big deal made about it. Uh, nothing in the papers saying that uh, O'Ree uh, broke color barrier, uh, first of his race to play in the National Hockey League. Uh, we were very fortunate that we beat Canadians that night, 3-0. We shut them out. Um, we get on the train after the game. The Montreal Canadiens had their car. The Boston Bruins had their car. We go to Boston and play there on Sunday, and the Canadians beat us 5-3, to three. and then I'm, I go back to Quebec to, um, to finish out the season.
1: We're speaking with Willie O'Ree, the first black player ever to play in the National Hockey League. He's currently the director of youth development for the NHL's diversity program. We'll talk more after a break. This is Fresh Air. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Willie O'Ree. He is the National Hockey League's Director of Youth Development for its diversity program. He was also, 50 years ago, the first black player ever to take the ice in a National Hockey League game. Um, So it was in 1961 when you came back up to the NHL. You were there for, is it 43 games, is that right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. And and, and so in this case, you're you're playing your games, you're touring every other city. Tell us what you experienced from other teams. well, other teams. Um,
2: I never had any problems in in Toronto or Montreal because I was I was a Canadian boy, and and back then ninety eight percent of the players that were playing in the National Hockey were all Canadians. Uh, I did experience some uh, some problems in in Chicago. Um, my first trip into Chicago, um, you know, there was uh, players that uh, you know made some uh, racial slurs towards me, but there was one one player in particular that. Um, um, I go in and get a shot on the net and uh, the goalie makes a stop and I get the puck and I go in behind the net and then I turn one way to to come out and then I stopped and um I went to turn to pass the puck out into the slot area and um one of the players came on my blind side I couldn't see him and he he butt ended me uh in the in the mouth uh, split my nose uh, split my uh, lip and knocked my two front teeth out and uh, then he uh, he just stood there and kind of, he made a couple of racial remarks, but then he just stood there and, and laughed at me. When, when you, you say wasn't the, uh,
1: when you say butt ended you you mean what? He
2: took the butt end of his stick, you know, the shaft of the stick, and he uh, he exposed about six inches of it. And then what he did is he just um, slammed me slammed me with the stick in, in the face, and knocked knocked my uh, two front teeth out. of It sli- uh, split uh, broke my nose and um, my um, you know my teeth just he knocked them out clean. So um, as I mentioned, he stood there, um, made a couple racial remarks. But it wasn't the racial remarks that set me off. It was the, the uh, the laughing that, like you know, he's he was a big, a big uh, right winger. Uh, Eric Mstarenko, right? Yeah. Um, how did you come up with that name? That's the well, gentleman.
1: This incident That's... has been written about widely, and I, I don't want I don't want you to offend anybody in the audience. Do you? But do you remember exactly what he said to you?
2: Uh, well, it was the N-word, uh, yeah, yeah, the N-word, but that that isn't what that set me off. He just stood there and, and laughed like, uh, you know, you're not going to do anything. So um, I had to do something, so I, I hit him over the head with my stick. Back then, uh, as I said, we didn't wear any helmets, and I uh, I cut him for uh, quite a few number of stitches right, right on the forehead, and then I knew that I was going to have to fight, so immediately I dropped my gloves, my stick broke, uh, he grabbed me and hit me a couple of times, and I grabbed him, and I got a couple of uh, just light shots in. And then the, 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 the linesmen come in. They break us up. Uh, we're both thrown out of the game. Um, I go into the uh, dressing room, and they, um, they stitch me up and uh, plug my nose. And I wanted to come back out and sit on the bench uh, at least uh, with the team. But uh, Milt Schmidt, our coach, was a, he was fearful for my life because uh, he could hear the fans saying, if this uh, you know, if this end player ever comes back out, he says uh, he's going to have bodily injury to him.
1: Now, t- t- take us back to that moment. I mean, here, here you are. You finally make it to the NHL. HL. This guy cheap shots you, uh, calls you a racial slur, laughs at you. You retaliate. You fight. And there you are. You're, you're stitched up in a room. And you can't even go back out because of the racial hostility that would rain yes. down upon you. How did, did you wonder whether it's all worth it? What were you feeling? Then? I, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth, Dave. Uh, uh, they
2: had two police officers stand out in front of the, uh, uh, guarding the dressing room, and I'm pacing back and forth in the dressing room, uh, back and forth. And I, I turned the lights out in the dressing room, and I just sat in the dark um, for about two, three minutes. And I said, Willie, It's just not worth it. Why don't you just go, you know, you can go back to your hometown. You can play hockey. You don't need to put up with all this. And um, then I turned the lights on and I said, now the hell with it. I said, if I'm going to leave the league, I'm going to leave it because I don't have the skills and the ability to play anymore. I'm not going to leave it because some guy is is trying to goat me and get me out of the league. So I continued to play. Uh, We came back to Chicago uh, on three or four different, you know, um, occasions and uh, you know, I always, anytime Nestorenko was on the ice, I always knew where he was, and I always kept my stick up to protect myself. But um, did, you, did you probably, ever talk to
1: him about it or have any other encounter with him? Uh,
2: yes. In 1991, the, uh, the National Hockey League All-Star game was in Chicago. I get a phone call and a letter from the National Hockey League saying that we'd like to invite you and your wife to Chicago for guests of the, uh, of the NHL. I said to myself, well, why are you inviting me? I, I haven't played in the league in 30 years. Why, why would you want to invite me to an All-Star game? They said, well, we realized that uh, you were the Jackie Robinson of hockey and you opened doors and broke down barriers for other players of color to play. So I went. Um, we go to this function. Uh, I saw uh, hockey players uh, that I had played with and against um, for 30 years, never since I left the league. So uh, my wife wanted a glass of wine, so uh, I go out to the. Um, I go out. The, they had an outside bar out in the in the lobby area, and I go out and uh, the bartender's there. and I said, "I'd like a glass of wine and, uh, and a light beer, please." So I'm the only one standing there. Who comes right up beside me? Is Eric Nestorenko. He's standing there and he he looks down at me and he says, "Hi, Willie. How's it doing?" I said, "Fine, Eric. How's it going?" And then I said, "Well, let's get it on. If it's been 30 years, but let's <laughs> let's let's get it on." And I was ready to just go with him right there, <laughs> but he took he took his drink, and I I took um, I took the drinks and went back to the table, and um, I saw him a couple of times uh, at the rest of the evening, but at a distance. Uh,
1: we should add that Eric Nestorenko has been interviewed about this by folks who've heard uh, about the, in- the yeah. Incident. And he doesn't
2: recall the incident. Uh, I heard that. Yeah, he, he, does, he doesn't
1: yeah. recall having said anything racial, apparently. Oh, yeah, that, wow. Yeah, that, that, that's what, what he has said, um, and that's his version, and he has stuck to it. Um,
2: oh, well, yeah, well, that's my version. I'm going to stick to it. <laughs>
1: uh, you, you know, when, when you played with the Bruins back in 1961, uh, there you are playing at the highest level of the game, scoring goals, and you're blind in one eye. Did anybody know <laughs> it? Did anybody even know it?
2: Well, I told my younger sister, Betty, who lives in Montreal, and uh, I told uh, my friend that I'd played with this other black hockey player, Stan Maxwell, but I swore them to secrecy. I said, don't, don't say anything. I said, I don't want it to get around, uh, because if it does, it'll probably uh, hinder my chance of, you know, getting into the National Hockey League. So anyway, uh, there was nothing said. Even, even people today don't realize I played 21 years uh, professionally with one eye. But uh, in 1961, uh, I was traded to the Los Angeles Blades of the Western Hockey League. And uh, when I arrived in Los Angeles, Alfie Pike was the coach. And um, he had uh, only two right-wingers, and he had about six or seven left-wingers. And he says, Willie, have you ever played right-wing? I said, no, Alfie. I said, I've always played left-wing. He said, I sure could use your speed on the right side. Why don't you give it a try? So now I move over to the right side, and I don't have to be turning my head to the left to pick up the puck because I can see the puck on the play. And uh, I won the goal scoring twice in 1965 in Los Angeles in 1969 in San Diego with the San Diego Gulls. And I was voted on four All-Star teams only due to the fact that I had switched over right. to the right side and played.
1: Um, you continued to play hockey until 1980. Um, but after you broke the color barrier in the National Hockey League, there, you know, there wasn't a flood of, of black players getting into the league. Why do you think there, there hasn't been more diversity in the NHL?
2: Well, first of all, hockey is a very unique sport. I mean, you know, you can take a basketball, a football, a baseball, a soccer ball, and, you know, you can you can get in a room and, you know, kick it around or throw it around. But in order to play hockey, you need to get on the ice. You need to get on the ice to develop your skills. And uh, 99% of the black players or the players of color that are playing in the league today, they have the opportunity to get on the ice. And basically, that's what you need. And uh, being uh, involved with the diversity program, we have 39 nonprofit programs throughout North America. And I can tell you that we're, we're developing more uh, players of color now than ever before. There are more kids playing hockey today than ever before. There are more, more girls playing hockey today
0: than ever before.
1: Well, Willie O'Ree, thanks for sharing some memories with us. Oh, it certainly has been a pleasure, Dave.
0: Willie O'Ree broke the color barrier in the National Hockey League 50 years ago. He spoke with Fresh Air contributor Dave Davies. Dave is a senior writer for the Philadelphia Daily News.